Man, it's good to be back. Happy New Year. Same drama. Let's be realistic. The date changed, the drama did not. But neither did Christ. So we're here for that. Uh, two things I'm excited. Uh, what Mike said about Friday night, the mafia, um, it is true. So I want to testify real quick. And want you to know it, it, it's a context where you can come and sin against each other. <laughs> and we overlook it because it's a game. So, but don't, don't, if you, if you soft, don't come, please, because we don't, we don't care for each other in those games. We don't care about each other. It's the one context where we believe that grace allows us to offend you. <laughs> nah, we just have fun. It's a good time. We'll be right here Friday night. Last November, we had 28 people. And it started off, the first game started off a little wild, and then it got crazy at the end. So I will be here. I'll be your host. Also appearing at Charlie's on Tuesday nights. At 8 o'clock. But we'll be here Friday nights. Please come. Depending on how many people here, we might order some pizza. So bring a couple of dollars just in case you want to eat that. We're looking forward to having a good time on Friday night. Also, one other announcement that's very important. And this is an announcement that I actually asked to happen. I had a conversation with Ann Cranin. She's a good friend of mine, and we meet and talk about things. And Ann, um, what, what Ann does right now is something that I think our church needs to be made aware of. And so I've asked her on January 25th at 1 p.m. to give a seminar that's really entitled essentially like taking care of your elders. And this is the description. It's for seniors and those who love them. So that means all of us. Challenges of aging, practical wisdom and insight for the journey ahead. This is what she does on a day-to-day basis. Let me explain why this is important. Because all of us have either parents or grandparents or we have members of our church who are growing in age and on their way to be with the Lord. And as you get older, what comes with that are challenges physically, sometimes mentally. And it's important for us to know how do we handle those things? What do we do when those happen? This isn't like, oh, for the people who, if you're in your 20s or 30s, like, oh, I'm not. No, 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 no. This isn't about you being at a certain age. It's about you being around people who are of a certain age. One day it may be your parents that are saying, hey, what are we doing here? Can we, can we get an in-law suite? Are you going to put us in a home? <laughs> you know, my mom has made it clear she wants to be in an in-law suite. <laughs> and I said, I need to think about that. I need to, need to pray about it. No, I said, Ma, of course. If we, if we are able to move that, that's my mom. I believe that's part of honoring your mom. Dad, but it's also a part of being in a church of people in multiple demographics. There's, listen, don't celebrate the diversity and then not participate in it. Part of the diversity of our church is that we have people that are older that need assistance. They don't always have children and stuff like that around them. And there's a lot of people who are of a certain age that help the people who are of a certain age, but they need people who are younger, who are stronger. And But to do that, we have to understand what does that take. And so I've asked Anne to do that. So I'm asking all of us to be there. This is not, um, I mean, all these, a lot of these things are optional. You know that. We don't demand, except we expect people to do certain things. This is one of the ones I'm asking you as your pastor to take seriously and consider coming to, because there's going to be a time in our church where some of us are going to need to help some of the members of our church, and we need to know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to need to help our grandparents or help our parents think through how to help the grandparents. And we need to know what we're doing. So this is something that's very serious, and I think this is dear to God's heart. It's in the scripture that we take care of. The, old, the older help the younger, and the younger help the older. And we have a church. We've inherited. If you're a member of this church, you have inherited a multiple range of diversity. Okay? And we appreciate it. But don't just say, I love our church because it's diverse. Be a part of the diversity. And let's serve those who are on multiple levels here. All right? So that's January 25th, 1 p.m. You'll hear more about it. Please be there. Anne's going to take it. It may be about two hours, but it's going to be really important information for all of us. All right. And the last and, and probably this isn't as important of an announcement, but I, I saw Star Wars. It was all right. Man. I don't know. 
It was okay, you know. No. Did anybody see it? I keep your hand up if you really liked it. Okay. Put your hand up if you if keep your hand up now if you saw it, but it was okay. It was like okay. I put your hand up if you just hate like one hundred percent like. Okay, the movie. No, no, no. We're not talking about you know. We're not talking about your personal problem with Disney. You know? <laughs> Contact J.J. Abrams through social media. We understand. <laughs> we get it. All right. We are going to be talking about, we're going to go to Romans 8. But this verse sets us up to talk about the theme that we have been, that we have introduced in September of the kingdom. Like a lot of Romans is talking about living in light of the kingdom. In fact, all of scripture, really, from the time Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything is about living in light of the kingdom, all of it, everything we talk about, whether we acknowledge kingdom or not, everything that we talk about, everything that we do, everything that we live for, every, all the ways that we try to honor the Lord in our, in our practical, specific, our, 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 our resisting sin, everything that we're doing is living in light of the fact that we believe that the kingdom of God is near. Now, we know that by faith, we believe that by sight. We won't see that until we are with him. We understand that reality. But we live in light of that fact every day. The challenge with that reality, though, there's one challenge with living in light of the kingdom, and it's the word that Christians often hate. It's the word suffering. Because in our minds, suffering is a total opposite of the kingdom. In fact, we serve a God who we know can eliminate all suffering and sometimes because of that, we, want, we evaluate him based on his initiation of the elimination of the suffering that we experience. And if there isn't that, then we get distracted, disappointed, or worse, faithless. Well, this morning, our passage let us rate to this place, we're going to look at just one verse this morning in Romans 8, continuing our Romans series. We ended with Romans 8, 15 through 17. We're looking at one verse today in Romans, verse 18. And it says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared, not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, before we jump in, two things. One, if you have a cell phone, please put it on vibrate. We don't want to hear any Ariana Grande um, <laughs> ringtones. If there's anyone in the hallway or in the kitchen, Ushers, please ask them to come inside. There will be plenty of time to communicate afterwards. Right now, we learn. We listen. I want to begin by reading an article that I thought was very interesting. It's entitled, Abundant Life is a Suffering Life. And the author says this. It is hard to want to suffer. I presume grace is necessary for the want, a young Flannery O'Connor wrote in her prayer journal in 1947, but this raises the question, why would anyone want to suffer? In the years following this journal entry, O'Connor's short stories and letters, not to mention her own life, would be filled with suffering. O'Connor came to see suffering as a disguised blessing, even a sign of God's favor. The friends of God suffer, she observed in a letter. To see suffering as a gift from God, a mark of God's favor, even a sign of his friendship seems far removed from the common expectations of our day. We may hear distortions of God's promises, such as Jesus suffered so that we wouldn't have to. A gross platitude doled out in some prosperity gospel circles. I would say I had this in reformed cultural circles as well. Where health and wealth, not pain and deprivation, are seen as signs of God's favor and friendship. But I'm also referring to the more widespread, often unspoken assumption 
that suffering is unusual and imposition on our lives, an interruption of God's good purposes, even a sign of his displeasure. Why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Most of us take suffering to be a rude, uninvited guest, a surprise we never wanted, not a grace disguised. And yet the pages of the Bible and the very life of Jesus show us that suffering is not only inevitable for all, but is, in God's wisdom, the necessary path to the good and beautiful life. To experience the freedom and rest Jesus promises us in John 10, we must pass through the crucible of suffering. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you, Peter writes in 1 Peter 4. He tells us not only to, be, to not be surprised by suffering, but even to choose to rejoice in it. It's a strange encouragement to be sure, but one echoed by Paul. By James, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, he says in 1-2. And by the psalmist, it was good for me that I was afflicted in Psalm 119. We should expect tears, even seasons where we weep uncontrollably, as Psalm 6, 6 says. Feel utterly overwhelmed, far beyond our ability to endure, as Psalm 69 and 2 Corinthians 1, 8 say. And wonder when, if ever, this pain will cease, as Psalm 13, 1 indicates. The Bible tells us so. And if we don't expect pain and tears, then when we suffer, we'll not only suffer what we're suffering, but we'll add disappointment to our suffering, a sense of betrayal and bitterness that I must have messed up somehow, that God hasn't held up to his side of the deal, or simply the confusion that the world isn't working the way I thought it should at all. As a pastor, I'm sometimes asked, but is it necessary? Must one go through a time of extreme pain, a, a wilderness wandering, a valley to experience a new and better life? Behind the word necessary lurks the assumption that we are in control. But we're not. In due time, God will lift us up, Peter says in Chapter 5, verse 7. But we must surrender to the reality that our times are in his hands. As it was for Jesus, so it will be for us. God's way to the new life always passes through crucifixion. Jesus, the perfect image of God and the perfect human being, shows us that a fully human life must include suffering and that we can only become the man or woman God intends us to be through suffering. Jesus, who was without sin and never did anything to deserve his father's displeasure, was made perfect through suffering, Hebrews 10 tells us. The author of Hebrews dares to say that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered in Hebrews 5.8, and that this is part of what makes him our compassionate high priest, able to help us in our time of need. If Jesus, the perfect child, had to learn how to trust and obey through suffering, how much more necessary is it for you and me? Far from being something Jesus saves us from, suffering is listed in the New Testament as the guarantee that we belong to Christ. This reality is a biblical Reality. Maybe not every word that he said is biblical, but the theme of kingdom and suffering go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And this morning, our verse is a fundamental reality of this, that from God's perspective, kingdom and suffering go hand in hand. But the suffering is seasonal, it's temporary. The verse explains to us that this present suffering is not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed 
to us. This statement is meant to give us what Jesus called seeking first the kingdom, that mentality. You see, suffering in this life is always by God or often meant to keep us from being so satisfied with what we have that we no longer desire him. You know, as a, as a parent, my kids ask me for things often. And every once in a while, they'll ask me for something that I wanted to surprise them with. I wanted to bless them with. So I will say no, even sometimes a little more firmer than I normally would, so that they get momentarily disappointed. Only to celebrate <laughs> later on when they realize, oh, we did go, we got it, we did it, you did buy it. And my response is, of course I bought it, you scrub. <laughs> I'm your dad. I love to give my kids gifts. But I don't always want to give them to them when they think they need them. I think the father is very much the same with the children in this room. So this verse is meant to remind us of a seeking first. The king, this verse is a promise. But more than that, it's a fact. It's a guarantee by the one who made it. And I'm not talking about Paul. But who inspired Paul to write this is God himself. So this is what we're going to do to look at this verse. And we're going to answer a few questions. The first is this, what qualifies Paul to make this statement? What qualifies Paul to make this statement? This is, this is a bold statement. That there's suffering, and there's multiple levels of suffering. There are some people in here, this message is going to fly over your head. Because you're not tripping. Or you just haven't gone through enough in life that it doesn't really resonate with you. But there are people in this room right now who are suffering beyond what we are able to understand because they might not even make it known. And this promise, this word, rings true. There are Christians in other parts of the world who are being kidnapped, who are being raped, who are being murdered because they believe in Jesus. I watched, I watched a, a brief documentary on Christians in Egypt. And, and they ran into this church, these couple churches, ISIS. This was a few years ago, three years ago. And they lined up all these Christian men, had them on their knees, and wanted them to renounce Islam. Christianity. And they wouldn't. So they killed every one of them. And one of the wives was in the documentary. And you know what she said? She said this. We were really sad to hear that they killed our husbands and our brothers. But we were also really glad to hear that none of them rejected Christ. And she said, that made us more happy than we were sad. Because she said, you know what? We forgive those men who killed our brothers and husbands. And we hope that they come to Jesus too. Then she was more excited that they would not walk away from Christ that they were willing to die, suffer and die, instead of walk away from. And that was her emphasis. Not how much she's going to miss her husband or her brother, but how much she's grateful for this reality. This is a truth that we're looking at today, but what qualifies Paul to make this statement? This verse starts off with Paul says this, for I consider, okay? He said, for I consider. So in other words, I believe, I think, it is of my opinion, this is my perspective, is that what you're experiencing, whatever suffering that is, is going to be less than the glory that's going to be revealed. That is a bold statement. That's a bold statement. If you ever sit down in front of someone who's really hurting, who's really suffering, and you tell them that verse, 
you may or may not get a good response. The timing of when you say that better be good. Because if you tell someone who's really suffering that what you're experiencing now is nothing to the glory that you're going to receive. You know what it sounds like? What you're going through now is being belittled. That's how it, t- that's how it feels. You're belittling my existence. And I don't think that's what Paul's doing. So what, what qualifies Paul to make this statement? It's a bold statement. Here's what qualifies Paul to make this statement. Not because he's inspired by God. Sure, that does. But here's what qualifies Paul to make this statement. And we have to leave this verse to go to another scene in 2 Corinthians 12. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. Beginning in verse 1, and I quote, Boasting is necessary. It is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself except for my weakness. For I want to boast, for I want to boast, If I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness so that Christ's power may may reside in me. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly so that Christ's power may reside in me, so that I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's what qualifies Paul to make this statement in Romans 8.18, is that God actually allowed Paul to see a glimpse of heaven. Now, Paul's trying to talk in little esoteric language because he's, it's, a, it's a way he's described it because the, the, the religious leaders that are affecting the Corinthians are boasting about who they are. And Paul is trying to not boast, but say, I know a man, whether he was in the spirit or not. So Paul's not talking about an out-of-body experience or just a, a near-death experience. He's saying God actually brought him to see a glimpse of heaven. Paul was allowed to see a glimpse of the destination that all believers who believe in Jesus are going to and then come back to biblically say. But you notice he doesn't come back and describe what happened. You know, sometimes you hear people be like, I died and and let me come back and write a book and tell you what I saw. Those things are entertaining to me. They're interesting. But Paul says, listen, what I saw were inexpressible words. I saw extraordinary visions. It was paradise. I'm not even allowed. No human being is even allowed to communicate what was heard in heaven. So I can't even tell you what I saw. The only thing I can tell you is when you get there, you're going to be glad you made it. Based on, somebody says, for I consider... What he's saying is based on what I've seen with my own eyes. What we're going through, the suffering that we're experiencing now, because we have faith in Jesus, is nothing compared to the glory that we're going to see when we're gone and in eternity with him. This is the reality. This qualifies them to make this statement. And what's beautiful about this is then the suffering comes after. And he said, so that God would keep me humble, he allowed me to suffer. People use that verse a lot, but they don't realize it's what it's for. Paul got to see a glimpse of heaven where we're all, those of us who believe in Jesus, where we believe we're headed. And he said, man, this this is incredible. Extraordinary revelation. 
is what he called it in verse 7. So based upon what he's seen with his own eyes, that qualifies him to say, the suffering that you are experiencing is nothing compared to the glory that you are going to see one day. The second question we're going to answer is, well, what does this verse actually mean? Well, it means what it says, but it's deeper than that. It always is, right? What does this mean? Well, right before this verse, which is what our, our last one was a few weeks ago, this, this, the, the idea here, we go back just one verse, to verse 17, is it's talking about our inheritance with Christ, that we're children in verse 17, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Then it says this, if indeed we suffer with him so that way we may be also glorified with him. So that's the condition. If we suffer with him, then we'll be glorified with him. It's a condition. Now that's what I believe. I can't prove this from Scripture. This is what I believe. I believe as Paul was writing this, and he wrote verse 17, as he was writing it, I think he paused. And I think he thought about what he wrote. I think he thought about people suffering. He thought about his own, but shoot, he got caught up to the third heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying... But if, you, if, if God brings me up to the third heaven, I'm taking all everything, whatever, whatever you got. If you can walk away from the Lord after being called to the third heaven, there's something else going on. Many of us would, first of all, I'm, I'm sure Paul was mad he had to come back. Right, right, right. I'd, I mean, I'd have sinned in heaven. Like, Lord, why are you sending me back? I mean, they would have been complaining to God. And he might have said, do you want the alternative? No, 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 I don't, I don't. I'm kidding, Lord, I'm joking. You know you created me to be funny, Lord, I'm joking. The reality, the reality here is that he saw suffering, so he gets it. But I think, I think he thought about the suffering of other people. I think he thought about how this verse would be perceived if indeed we suffer. Because it almost sounds like, man, listen, sometimes we read the scriptures and think they're like superhuman and we're just normal. Them people were normal like us. They, Paul wasn't superhuman. Paul was afraid. When he went to Corinth, look at 1 Corinthians 18. The Lord had to appear to him in a vision and say, no one's going to harm you. Paul didn't want to get harmed. He didn't want to suffer either. You notice in Paul's conversion to Acts 9, the Lord told Ananias, I will show him how much he will suffer for my sake. He didn't tell Paul that. <laughs> it wasn't like he said, hey, Paul, believe in me, you're going to pain and you're going to feel pain. <laughs> Paul was like, oh, man, this is fantastic, man. I know the Lord. I got the spirit. I'm, I got to see the third heaven. Now here comes the thorn in the flesh. Now here comes all the things that he lists in 2 Corinthians 11 about being shipwrecked, about being stoned, about receiving 39 lashes five times. His back was whipped 145 times. That's what the Lord told Ananias that. He didn't tell Paul that. The Lord told Satan, try Job. He didn't tell Job, hey, Job, I'm going to kill all your kids. I think he thought about the people and thought, wait a minute. This is tough to grasp. So when he gets to verse 18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So as you hear that verse 17 and you start to think, man, I don't want to suffer any more than I already have, he brings this internal, eternal encouragement to all of us. But it's a, with a condition. In verse 17, it says, if indeed we suffer with him. What he means is if you choose to suffer with Jesus. Now, you are also choosing to celebrate with him later. 
This is what this verse, in a nutshell, here's what this verse means. We suffer now to celebrate later. That's what this means, in a nutshell. If you look at some of the, some of the language that has been used up to this point, talk about kingdom, Jesus comes out of the wilderness. The first thing he says, at least in recorded in Matthew and Luke, is he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. First thing, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Then later on, as he's teaching in Mark chapter 8, he says this, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. This is what he's asking. Now remember, for us, you know, we see people with like cool tattoos of a cross and with their hands prayed and the beads around it and all that stuff. And most of these people don't even believe in Jesus, but their tattoo is incredible. They not saved, but their tattoo is. <laughs> but when Jesus said, take up your cross here, there was no beauty in the cross. They understood. He's saying, choose to suffer excruciating pain to follow him. Huh? Like now nah, we like the paradise talk. Talk more about that. Like we like that. Give, feed us some more food and heal a, cast a couple more demons out. Like we like that. But to choose to suffer, this is what he said. This is what Christianity is. It's to choose to suffer. To suffer now, to celebrate later. To deny ourselves. To receive later. This is the challenge with Christianity. Because a lot of us, a lot of us get saved thinking about going to heaven. You know how I used to go to churches where the pastor would always preach about hell, the hellfire and brimstone, right? And they would talk about fire insurance. Like, right? Like people... That's what I used to call it, fire insurance. Like, you, you believe in Jesus because you don't want to go to hell. That's it. Right, right. And that will not sustain you, right? <laughs> that won't sustain you. I know people who, uh, like I said, I, got, I know dudes who got tattoos that were killing people. Like, Brent, how you got a tattoo on your arm that you of the cross and all that, and you just killed this man over a drug beef? Like, what do you, what? Hello? <laughs> What are we talking about here? Like everybody wants to go to heaven. And everyone believes that everybody's going to heaven. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. The kingdom comes with a choice choosing to suffer now to celebrate later. So we signed up for disappointment. We've signed up for frustration. If you believe in Jesus, you've signed up for perplexity. You've signed up for praying and thinking that this is what you're doing and then it doesn't work out how you thought. You've signed up for denying yourself. You signed up for even though you are forgiven, there's still consequences for some of the things that we do. We've signed up to be disappointed. <coughs> do you know most of the major people in scripture who are like heroes, a lot of them, question God. A lot of them question God. Faith isn't flawless. It just perseveres. Now, one distinction needs to be made. Choosing to suffer is different than choosing your suffering. Those are different things. When we sign up to be a believer, we are choosing to suffer, whether we like it or not. What we're not choosing is the suffering. We don't get to choose that. 
We don't get to choose that. The Lord chooses that. But in verse 17, there's this phrase, if we suffer with him. How do we suffer with the Lord if he's already in heaven? What does that mean, suffer with him? It'd make more sense if it says suffer because of him. Okay, I get that. I mean, there's a lot of Christians in China and other countries that are doing that right now. I just saw an article a couple days ago. Pastor Wang Yi. Not with nine years in prison? I can't imagine them coming in here right now while I'm preaching, taking me out, and then I get sentenced to nine years away from my family. He chose to suffer, but he didn't choose the suffering. Now, he may have thought, hey, I'm signing up for this. I may get arrested. But none of us choose it. Because if we had a choice, it would be minimal. Yeah. A splinter here and there. <laughs> you know, die in my sleep. None of us would say addiction. None of us would say a, a severe, severe pain. Who would choose that? A divorce? The loss of a child? Who would choose that? That's, that's what makes Christianity so wild. Because no one chooses to suffer. But in order to be in the kingdom and to imitate Jesus, we choose to suffer. Now, verse 17 says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also glorified with him. Well, what, we, what does that mean that we suffer with him? We don't choose our suffering. But there are some things that scripture says that we can look at that Jesus suffered, that those of us who believe in him suffer. Hebrews 5a tells us, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Obedience, top of the list. Like Jesus, obedience to God will cause suffering to his people. And the reason why is because we are denying ourselves the pleasure of our sinful nature. We're denying ourselves the pleasure of sex. We're denying ourselves the pleasure of the pleasure of gossip, talking behind. We're denying ourselves the way it feels good when you give it to a fit of rage. We're denying ourselves the pleasure of talking about people behind their backs. We're denying ourselves the pleasures that we get from sin. And there are times where some of those pleasures are so good that it's difficult. It really feels like I'm going against who I am to not give into it. And that's exactly what we're doing. We deny ourselves by being obedient to God, and there is an element of suffering because we are not yet perfected. And I'm sorry, from the godliest in this room to the, to the least godliest, there's a desire to sin that remains in all of us. And there is a pleasure that comes from sin that makes it difficult to resist it. Obedience. So what does God do? When we, get, when we fight this sin, like Jesus resists, we learn how to trust God. When we, when we have a relationship that's difficult with someone, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, or a child, or a co-worker, whatever that is, you ever pray like, Lord, please help me love this person, and you go in and they're like the rudest they've ever been? And then you're like, man, what is the point of praying? <laughs> Because <laughs> you know what you pray? God changed that person so I could love him. Right, right, right. That's what you were praying. Right. God said, I answered your prayer. I'm just making them more unlovable and forcing you to do it. So all of a sudden, so you know what you learn in that? You learn long suffering. That's the King James version of the word patience. Long suffering. I'm going to talk to Carl and, 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 and we're going to talk about going to all translations and saying, listen, put long suffering back in there for patience. <laughs> Because those two words capture the reality. Yeah, yeah. Long suffering. Mm -hmm. 
Obedience is long-suffering. Another thing that Jesus suffered that we share with him is being hated for his beliefs. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus was hated because of his beliefs. If there has never been a time more in America that that's true for Christians is today. All you got to do is say there's only two genders. That's all you got to say. Shoot, all you got to do is wear a MAGA hat. She took hers back last week. Being hated for, for the beliefs of the scripture, being hated for what Jesus believes about. We believe the same thing Jesus believes about himself. So that's why he said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. In other words, you're not alone. In other words, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In other words, you actually belong to me if people hate you because you believe in me. You actually belong to me as people if you suffer because you agree with the things that I put in my word and you stand by those things instead of you know, caving in to the cultural demands that you do so. Yes. Hated for beliefs is the way that Christians suffer. Sometimes the Christians who don't suffer is because nobody knows you don't believe what they believe. Mm. Mm. Oh, I, I ain't trying to start no problem. <laughs> another one. Another one that we that we suffer with Jesus. Betrayal. Betrayal. John 13 says, when Jesus, when he had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. All of us, I bet you many of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us in this room have experienced some form of betrayal. Some form where you trusted someone and they hurt you. And some of those people hurt us so bad that they're no longer in our lives now. Some of those people have hurt us and we still love them and are connected to them. Sometimes we're married to them or sometimes we're raising them or sometimes we work with them. Whether you're a Christian or not, there isn't a person alive that hasn't had to forgive people for betraying them because it's inevitable. It's inevitable. But as Christians, we, we experience that. But you know when it hurts the most? When it comes from another Christian. You see, these were people that were supposed to believe, like in Jesus, when we get hurt by other believers. There's a sense of betrayal. And that creates suffering for us. There are people in this room suffering now because they feel betrayed by someone. Someone close to them. Another way we suffer with Jesus, Scripture tells us physical harm. John 19 says, and Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, which is beaten. Beaten with a, with, a, with a hard wooden paddle. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, hail, king of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Now, some of us have not experienced physical harm because of our faith. But there are a lot of brothers and sisters who do. We read about these things. We hear about their testimonies. That may not be our story right now, but it very well could become one. Mm -hmm. We also experience suffering when the people we love are harmed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the people who love him. In Acts 9, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul didn't know who he was because Jesus was already gone. Mm -hmm. Saul was like, who, who are you talking about? Paraphrasing. Jesus said, it's me, Jesus, when you're crucified. Because Jesus is so connected with his people that to, to persecute them is to persecute him. So his loved ones hurting is a form of suffering. It's the same thing for us. We suffer. Another form of suffering that we share with Jesus is people believing and then not believing. People walking away from the faith. Some of us in this room have loved ones, family, good friends, or are just aware of 
maybe a religious leader. I've talked about my friend Josh Harris, served on staff with him for years at Covenant Life. That dude came to this church in October of 2018 and put me in his documentary that is circling around the world. I get emails about what I said in that documentary often. And then a year later, he's walking away from the faith. We suffer because of that, because we feel that. Jesus had the same thing happen to him in John 6, 66 and 67. After teaching about basically believing in him, it says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. They just walked away. He just fed 5,000, 12,000 people, if you consider women and children. And then they all walk away. We suffer people... Not people who just walk away from the faith, but people who are unwilling to believe. Again, many of us have friends, family, people that we know or friends of friends. Or we know of people who are struggling with someone that they know, unwilling to believe. Luke 19 says this, as he approached the city, Jerusalem, he wept for it saying, if you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In Mark 6, 5 and 6, Jesus says, the scripture says, he was not able to do a miracle there in Nazareth, except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Hmm. We suffer people unwilling to believe because it just doesn't seem that complicated to us. Some of the people that we want to believe, man, your life, your life is a wreck anyway. <laughs> right, right. Like you got nothing to lose <laughs> yeah. by believing in the Lord. And they refuse to believe. And we feel that. Some of us cry with people that don't believe. That's we suffer with Christ when those things happen. Lastly, and again, this list isn't exhaustive. Lastly, for my list, how do we suffer with him? Heartfelt prayer not being answered the way we thought. Mm -hmm. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22 says this. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So yes, Jesus said, take this cup away from me, not my will, but your will be done. But he really wondered what he was asking. Because an angel comes to strengthen him and after the angel comes, after the angel comes, it says, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. So whatever the angel said, what worked? Hey, man, you know God got you, man. We love you, man. We all watching you up there, man. Jesus, keep doing what you're doing, man. We, you know, we with you, man. He's like, hey, man. Hey, I'm actually more stressed out because of what you just said. Just being, he prayed more fervently. An angel came. An angel that he created came to encourage him. It said to strengthen him. And it looks like more strength left him. Heartfelt prayer not being answered as we hoped. We suffer. We suffer. I saw on Facebook recently, I think someone in this church is doing this, writing down, putting in a jar prayer requests that have been answered throughout the year. And someone said, oh, man, I did that last year and it was amazing. And that's a really good idea. But I bet you the jar would probably be bigger for the ones that didn't get answered the way you thought. Yeah. And it's not because God doesn't care. It's not because you don't have enough faith. It's not because you did something wrong. I mean, if that's true, I don't know how you're going to prove it. You can't really tell. What we do know is we are choosing to suffer now to celebrate later. 
That's what it means to live. That's one of the main aspects of living in light of the kingdom. And as much as we hate the topic of suffering, I hate teaching it because I always feel like, man, you're going to do something after this to make me apply it. (laughs) Believe me, I hate teaching it more than y'all hate hearing it because I'm like, man, what's going to happen after I teach it? We let ask Mike to teach this joint. <laughs> He'll probably teach it better than me for real. Why is this important? Why is this verse important? Why is the reality that the suffering that we experience now is not worth comparing to the glory that we'll see? Why is this important? Well, one of them is because failed expectations is the cause of many people's suffering. Mm-hmm. Scripture said a hope deferred makes the heart what? Sick. That just means you got failed expectations. You thought it was going to go this way, and it didn't. You thought you would be married by now, and you're not. You thought your marriage would not have certain issues happen, and it did. You thought your kids would turn out a certain way, and they haven't. You thought you would definitely get that job. All things seemed perfect, and you didn't. Our expectations shape our view of God more than we give him credit for. And it's, not, and, and it's human. It's human. People's suffering always prevent them from seeing the scriptures accurately. Because we don't think we should suffer the way we're suffering. It's no different for, for, for the people when Jesus came. When Jesus came, their suffering at the hands of the Romans and other things didn't allow them to see the scriptures accurately. So then when Jesus showed up, it didn't allow them to see God accurately. If you don't see the word of God accurately, you're not going to see God accurately. So then Jesus shows up and then they don't get it. They didn't understand him or his purpose. They wanted a king like David who was going to come in, go to war with the Romans, fight them and reestablish Israel. The glory of salvation Look like the agony of nothing's changing. And it can be the same way for us. We have expectations of what we think God will or won't do. And our suffering, just like this, affects our confidence in him. It affects our confidence. It can stop us from seeing what God is actually doing. We were talking about this yesterday in biblical counseling about this a little bit. We were talking about suffering, and I was saying, listen, God isn't asking us to pray for, like, none of, none of us are going to be like, oh, Lord, please, man, it's, you know, it's, it's my time. Like, I, it's been a while, man. I just want to suffer something real good, man. I'm just, <laughs> you know, like, I, I told him, listen, if you ever pray, don't ever pray for me. <laughs> now, listen, you don't got to pray for suffering. It's inevitable. It's coming. It's not something you need to ask for. It's something you've signed up for. It's not about that, right? We're not talking about that. But there is this sense where suffering serves a real purpose. And we don't always understand why. It's like, dang, I I would have chosen something a little different if it were me. But God said, whatever you're suffering right now, I've chosen for you to make you more like me. Whatever that is. Whatever it is. And it has an end date. Jesus had to interpret the scriptures so that people understood that suffering was a fundamental part of God's plan. He had to open the eyes of even his own disciples to help them realize, oh, yeah, this is, this is part of it. This is part of the plan. Choosing to suffer with him is evidence that we are citizens of the kingdom. 
It's evidence. It's not always desirable, but it's the reality. We suffer now to celebrate later. This is what God is saying. This is what it says about Moses in Hebrews 11. I love this passage. I think everyone should memorize these three verses. It says, by faith, Moses in Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. That might be, I might be, I could be wrong. That might be the only time or one of the only times where pleasure and sin are actually connected. Because it's true. There's pleasure in sin, and God says, resist this pleasure for this pleasure. And it says this, for he considered, <coughs> the devil's trying to get in my throat. Whatever demon is in my throat, I'm just playing. <laughs> for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ. Now, I don't got enough time to get into how do you, for the sake of Christ, when he didn't even know about Christ back then. That's a different, and then ask Carl afterwards. If we consider reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. <coughs> this verse is here because we need to look beyond right now and by faith persevere until now is then. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Set your mind on things above where moth and rust won't steal. I'll, I'll do my own translation where you won't be as disappointed. We signed up for disappointment in this life. Everyone did. But if you follow Jesus more so because he could end it and he doesn't. He said, peace be still the wind in Matthew 8. But he didn't say, peace be still the wind. He told Peter, come to me in the midst of the wind in Matthew 14. Sometimes the wind is not going to stop blowing because he wants us to know that he stands with us in the midst of it rather than just stop it so we're no longer afraid of it. Faith matters. Perseverance matters. The kingdom is real. This verse 18 is to help us make sure that our faith is for his glory and our good. I want to close with the last two paragraphs of the article that I opened up with. He says this. It's entitled, Suffering is Beneficial. Here's what he says. No one enjoys suffering, yet our, yet our good father allows and uses suffering to wean us, train us, and transform us quoting Hebrews 12, 11. Jesus shows us that a beautiful life always entails suffering. He models for us how to go through it, quoting 1 Peter 4, 12 and 19. We're referencing that. And he causes us to abound in hope in the midst of it. Because of Jesus, we can know we're not suffering to pay for our sins. Amen. The penalty we deserve has already been paid in full. That's an important distinction. God doesn't punish us because of our sins. He trains us. He disciplines us so that we don't want to sin again. Consequences for sin are not because God's mad at you. It's so that you don't want to keep doing that sin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God and Christ stands beside us in solidarity, especially in times where we're too weak to stand. Jesus shows us that our suffering in God's hands always has a redemptive purpose. If God can use the worst event in the history of the world to bring about the best thing that ever happened, the salvation of the world, then he can repeat that miracle again and again in our lives. I said the idea that Jesus suffered so that we don't have to is vicious because if your theology tells you that you needn't suffer, then when suffering does come upon you or more wrenchingly upon someone you love, you are left utterly alone with only yourself to blame. And without the consolation and comfort of the man of sorrows, who is well acquainted with your grief. Suffering is not just something that happened to Jesus. Suffering is integral to who he is. So if we would come to know him experientially, we must follow down the path that he walked.
But the good news of the verse is we will never outsuffer the glory that we're going to receive for suffering. It will never happen. So whatever you're going through right now, God doesn't belittle it. I'm not belittling it. It is a reality. From a splinter to the loss of a child, suffering is suffering is suffering. What we must remember is that it has a purpose. His suffering and our suffering. And we choose to suffer now to celebrate later. And according to Paul, who's qualified to make that statement, we're going to see extraordinary revelations, things that we wouldn't even be able to speak when we were on earth because of who God is. Let's pray. And the ushers can get the communion as I pray. Father, we thank you for your word, just the reality. Even though you've given us some description of our destination, you've largely kept a lot of what we're going to experience out. There's some stuff that we'll understand. Randy Alcorn, you've given him the wisdom to write a couple of books on heaven. But we just don't know whether it'll be and sometimes we're distracted by that reality because we don't know what it'll be like. We lose sight of our destination because we, we focus on what we do see, what we do know. But you told us by faith to believe. For you had this verse written for all those who would choose to suffer because of Jesus. For the ways that I listed, we suffer with him, just like him. And there are ways that I didn't list that may be just as real. But this is how we live in light of the kingdom. Father, help us to remember that we're living in light of the kingdom, not in the light of our culture. We live in light of the kingdom, not in the light of our nation. We live in light of the kingdom, not in light of our political party. We live in light of the kingdom, not in light of our ethnicity. Help us to remember that we're citizens of the kingdom and the ways that we're lived. We're not obligated to the flesh because the flesh isn't in the kingdom. We're not obligated to continue to give in to sinful habits and attitudes. We don't just put off anger. We put on kindness. We're not just living to be happy, which is just a a momentary positive expression at a circumstance. We're, we're trying to have joy, which is a, a, a mind state, a positive mind state, no matter the circumstances. Help us to be and remember that we are kingdom livers and our part of our responsibility is to live in light of the kingdom and then to invite others to live in this kingdom. It's a kingdom by faith right now. But soon it'll be a kingdom by sight. Father, there are men and women in this room, some who have a wonderful place prepared for them. You said in John 14, in my father's house there are many rooms. Lord, I pray for those in this room who do not have a place prepared. For this verse in verse 18 also works a different way. For the suffering that will be experienced in eternity will not be compared to the suffering that we experience now. It's much worse. It's different. Lord, help us and help those who are here today that do not believe in you. Help them to understand something that you brought them here this morning if for no other reason to hear a reality 
of the Christian life. There are many ways that we describe what it means to be a Christian, and we often omit the word suffering. And so people profess faith in you, expecting to live a better life, or to live their best life now, and then experience suffering and trial that they didn't before, and they're confused. But Lord, we say on the front end that believing and living for you includes some suffering in this life. But it's a suffering that's worth it because you suffered on the cross ultimately so that all of us who believe in you would have our sins forgiven and that we would be able to celebrate with you in eternity. That's why we're co-heirs. I pray for those in this room who do not believe in you, that you would, you would stir their hearts to realize that what they're going through, that the best that they have in this life is not the best. And the worst that they're experiencing in this life is not the worst. It gets worse. And it gets much better. I pray that you would give people in this room who do not believe in you a curiosity. I feel like you, I wish you would change their hearts. I pray that you would change their hearts and their minds to be curious enough to want to know, to pursue the possibility of faith in you. Lord, change the hearts of those in this room, particularly those who've known you that have walked away or whose hearts are hard for many reasons. Lastly, Lord, I pray for those who are suffering, suffering in ways that are beyond their, their perspective of their capability to handle. Or it just seems like a long, the long suffering to them is accurate. I pray that you would comfort them with the reality of this message, the reality of this verse. This verse doesn't promise that you'll end the suffering. It just promises that what they're experiencing now, because they're choosing to suffer with you, is not worth the glory that will be revealed. And so, Father, I pray for those who are really hurting this morning. I pray that they would, like Moses, choose to suffer because they're looking for a better reward. And may we all live in light of the kingdom. May this not be a passing theme for the theme of our lives, for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen.